So today's scripture reading comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, um, verse 1 to 5, uh, 11 to 14, and then verse 19. If you want to follow along, it's page 170 to 171. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter the, and possess the land the Lord promised on, to oath your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order that you was, to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these forty years, knowing then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and decrees that I have given you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build your fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increases, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. If you ever forget the Lord your God, and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Now, I really have to thank God that in the, most people from the Cantonese congregation do not know about the ice bucket challenge. <laughs> All right. The, the passage you just uh, listened to is from Deuteronomy. I think to us modern New Testament Christians, the word Deuteronomy might seem too long too strange, or even too irrelevant. It's sometimes hard for us to appreciate the book of Deuteronomy like the Jews do. For Jews, Deuteronomy is a classic. It gives them national identity and also forms their theological foundation. But for us, the scripture that our four Gospels quoted the most are from Deuteronomy. So therefore, if we can fully grasp the message of Deuteronomy, our spiritual identity and our theological foundation will also be strengthened in the same way. The framework of Deuteronomy is from the standpoint of a critical turning point in history, looking backward to the past in order to prepare for the future. Now today is our first week celebration of VCBC's 45th anniversary. And the theme is about looking back to our past. So I think it cannot be more relevant that we start our looking backward from the message presented to us in Deuteronomy chapter 8. What well, Deuteronomy came into existence because the history of Israel has come to its most significant turning point. After 40 years wandering in the wilderness, Israel has finally arrived the edge of Jordan River. Once they pass the river, everything will change anew. The exodus is about to be completed. The promise is about to be fulfilled. Landless wandering is about to come to an end. Jordan looms 
as a decisive boundary of Israel's history. It's a boundary between the hazard, the insecurity of the wilderness, and the confidence of being at home, finally. The Jordan crossing represents the moment of the most critical transformation of Israel. Nothing is more radical than this. That slaves become masters. That wanderers become possessors. At the edge of Jordan River, at the place where Israel is about to become what it has never been, that they are no longer the slaves of the Pharaoh, that they are no longer landless wanderers in the wilderness. At this time, this place, Israel needs to be transformed by the word of God. The new situation requires a new, a new Israel with a new faith that comes out from the mouth of God. God intends to prepare his people for the future at the boundary and therefore he gave them Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy chapter 8 contains one of the core messages of the book. And this message cannot be more relevant to us at this very moment of our history. Out of 20 verses in this chapter, five times the author, Moses, used phrases like remember or do not forget in imperative form. The theme of this chapter is that Moses is anxious that a new, the new generation of Israelites will in their new identity, new security, forget where they actually came from. So at the edge of Jordan River, God, through Moses, warns Israel against the threat of forgetting and about the urgency of remembering. And if you pay attention on the first part of the chapter, you will discover one very familiar verse, which is, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out from the mouth of the Lord. Most of us would know this verse from Deuteronomy 8 was quoted by Jesus when he was tempted by the evil in the desert. Sometimes I think we we even make fun of, of this verse, right? I mean, when someone is starving to death and we just give him a Bible to read and we call it spiritual practice. And well, I'm, I'm not... I have to disclaim that I'm not preaching this passage because we are doing this fasting and prayer thing this week. So we won't get very far if we just try to interpret and understand this verse based on the context of Jesus in the New Testament Gospels. To understand this verse that Jesus quotes, we have to interpret through the framework of Deuteronomy, especially chapter 8. So hopefully this sermon can do justice for this verse. The theme of remembering is already revealed in verse 2. It says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know, that, to know what was in your heart, whether or not you will keep his commands. The word remember on the flip side is not to forget. Jesus warns, I mean Moses warns the Israelites, that you should never forget how the Lord has protected and guided you in the past 40 years in the wilderness. When you cross Jordan and begin your life in abundance, 
you should never forget your past. But we Chinese so often that we like to celebrate joyful events in life, right? Such as birthdays, anniversaries, wedding anniversaries, or even like us, church anniversaries. We, we don't usually like to remember our failures, our embarrassment, or even our bad past. We don't want to recall our memories on things that remind us how vulnerable, how stupid, or even how sinful we were. But at the edge of Jordan River, Moses urged Israel to remember how God humbled and tested them in the wilderness. And among all things, God wants them to remember one particular thing. This thing is the most intolerable. The thing that Israelites complained and whined about the most. And this one thing is hunger, lack of food. God wants them to never forget how and why they were hungry and did not have food to eat. The reason they had no food was very simple. It's because they were in wilderness. Wilderness is a place without water, without food, without restaurant, without any resources. Survival is impossible in wilderness. It's, a, it's in such a place so hostile to survive. God wanted Israel to be tested and humbled. And this test is to be remembered by Israel, generations after generations. For humans, their survival depends so much on food and on water. We are all doomed to fail, to be defeated in such a place so hostile, so impossible to survive. In an environment where survival is impossible, we humans will have no choice but to admit our insignificance, our vulnerability and our helplessness. When we cannot even manage to survive, we are confronted by the cruel truth that we do not have the power to control our lives. Before the Israelites are to receive the blessing they have never had before, Moses wanted them, through remembering, to admit that they are indeed insignificant, insufficient, vulnerable, and have nothing to boast. Remembering is the best preparation for receiving blessings. And this month, we are celebrating our 45 years of blessings. We need to look back. From looking back, we recognize how vulnerable, how insufficient, how insignificant, how we have nothing to boast about in the past. Well, I have no intention here to discount what our leaders, what our pastors, past and present, have done all along. Deuteronomy also did not intend to discount the dedication of Moses and Aaron. But what I believe is that all our leaders in the past and present would very much like us to count God's blessing and to be amazed by God's wonderful acts through their insignificance, their inadequacy. Here Moses urged Israel not to forget the test in the wilderness, so they will be humble. We all know that. In a place where there is no food, no water, no resources, it's normal that we will die of first of starvation. In other words, 40 years in wilderness 
and no one die of thirst, of starvation, and not even that. Even their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. All this must be considered very abnormal. Hunger, thirst, swelling. All these are things to be rightly expected in the wilderness. None of these has happened. Because the wilderness is not what it seemed to be. It seemed to be resourceless, empty life. And it turned out to be, however, a place of safety, a place of well-being, and even a place in which offspring was reproduced and multiplied. Such abnormal, amazing transformation was all because it is a place over which the Lord, Yahweh, presides. Moses was putting God's abundance and humans' insignificance in contrast. When we look back, when we remember, we need to begin from our own insignificance, our own insufficiency and helplessness. And then we will be able to truly recognize that all we have, all we possess, are indeed the manifestation of God's grace, God's amazing grace. So when Israel clearly remembers their past, God then reveals to them a beautiful picture that fulfills every anticipation of the wilderness. This is a picture just across the other side of the Jordan River, which will become a reality to Israel very soon. The picture includes, first, a sustainable and reliable source of water, brooks, streams, and deep springs. And second, food that grows out from the land. It says a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. Sounds like a very good organic, gluten-free menu for vegetarian. And the third thing, resources to produce necessary equipment to increase standard of living. They have iron, they have copper. And this is a picture that's nothing like the one of the wilderness. Water does not need to come out at the last moment and incredibly from the rock. Its sources now are visible and reliable. The food does not need to be earned through slavery like in Egypt. Or it does not need to appear surprisingly and miraculously from the sky in the form of manna. It rises up from the land. And unlike the manna, the food from the land can be stored up. In other words, the food people can possess, not necessarily only today's portion, but also tomorrow's or even next year's. Future can be secured and life can be without anxiety now. The other side of Jordan presents a totally new way of life. The life of Israel will be transformed from harshness and anti-lifeness of the wilderness into what the scripture says, a land where bread will, be, will not be scarce and they will lack nothing. And, but God knows, and so does Moses, that the promised land 
does not just provide a secure and comfortable place for the people to live. It also presents a new set of temptations that they have never encountered. A new set of temptations that was not there in the land of slavery, nor in the land of wilderness. And this temptation is called amnesia, or forgetfulness. Forget that in the past, how they were vulnerable, insufficient, insignificant. It's a temptation to forget how Yahweh has guided them through their self-insufficiency and the dreadful inadequacy. Moses continues to warn his people, he says. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness then thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hot rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestor had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You know, the nature of wilderness is resourceless and empty life. It's an environment that fosters humbleness, and humility. On the other hand, the nature of promised land is abundance and even lavishness. It provides a condition for humans' hearts to feel proud. And knowing that he is not permitted to enter promised land, Moses, he is now very anxious that his people will inevitably become proud when they are surrounded by the abundance of the promised land. In their pride, they will become selectively forgetful. Moses knows, he knows it so well, that when a person or a community that lacks everything, has nothing, they will appreciate and praise God with all the sincerity when they receive grace. This is the reaction of Israel in the wilderness. But for a person or community that lacks nothing, and has everything. When they receive grace, their reaction will likely be a complacent self-congratulation. The Moses at the boundary is worried. After crossing Jordan, will the Israelites, in the new environment of abundance and sufficiency, forget how insufficient, how inadequate they were before crossing the river? Same thing applies to us today that our church, in many ways, have become very structuralized, very systematic. It's not a bad thing. But will we go on to become elitism or professionalization of ministry? Will we go on to become not seeing grace as grace, but our accomplishments? All these problems begin from our amnesia, from forgetting. A gift kept long enough would begin to seem like a possession. A gift kept long enough becomes separated in the memory of the recipient from the giver so that the giver is forgotten. Gifts will be seen as self-accomplishment 
which will turn into an illusion that we are self-sufficient. We are autonomous. If forgetting stands against remembering, then autonomy stands against dependence. So in this tension between autonomy and dependence, Moses proclaims that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This verse serves as an important reminder to the Israelites as well as to us today. We very often misinterpret this verse, thinking that, oh, it is about distinguishing between spiritual and material. We think that, okay, food represents the material world, whereas the word that comes from the mouth of the Lord represents the spiritual counterpart. We think that this is about the difference of the importance between pizza, hamburger, and the Bible. But in fact, this is not how the early Israelites would understand this verse. They in fact do not have such a distinction between spiritual and material like we do. Also, the distinction between spiritual and material really has no relevance with the context of this chapter. Therefore, we must follow the context of Deuteronomy 8 in order to understand this verse that Jesus quotes when facing temptation. The theme of Deuteronomy 8 is that Moses, anxious that his people will forget that Yahweh, once they settle down in the, in the promised land with riches and abundance, and he warns the Israelites against their amnesia and forgetfulness. They are not to forget how insignificant, how insufficient they once were. And they are not to forget how gracious Yahweh took care of them. Through this emphasis of remembering and on our memory, people might avoid becoming proud when their lives become secure and sufficient. They might be able to avoid seeing God's grace as their own accomplishment. This is the message Moses had for his people on behalf of the Lord Yahweh. So the whole passage was about making a contrast between forgetting or remembering, or a contrast between acknowledging God's grace or attributing it to one's own success. So after settling in the abundant and exuberant promised land, where water and food are in abundant supply, will the Israelites consider all these accomplishments their, of their own power? Or will they, just like when in the wilderness, continue to see everything as God's gracious providence and respond with gratitude and praises? What would they choose? When we use this con- context to interpret the verse, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Its meaning has become, I think, quite obvious now. Verse 3 already speaks very clearly that He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestor had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In here, every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord refers to manna. Note that when God allows Israelites to hunger, He did not give them just a Bible to read and just leave it at that. 
When they are hungry, God gave them manna. It's something edible. It's a food that fills stomachs. What it says here is that when Israelites, when the Israelites had no way to fill their hunger and survive in the wilderness, then when manna miraculously came upon them, they will then realize that the true and only giver of food as well as life is the Lord, is Yahweh. Therefore, the meaning of living on bread alone is that when you are holding a meal in your hand, you see it as something you accomplish with your own power. This is the mentality that Moses had been trying to prevent his people from having. But on the other hand, the meaning of living on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord is that when you're holding the same meal in your hand, you recognize that this is indeed grace of the loving God who declares by His word that food is to be given. We don't enjoy the food in a proud or self-congratulating manner, but we partake the food with appreciation and praises. I guess that's why we should say grace before meals, because saying grace reminds us that even though the food might be bought with our own money or cooked by our own culinary skills, it is indeed grace of the loving God who declares by His word that food is to be given. So if we go to verse 17, it's still under the same theme. The whole chapter is under the same theme. Moses is afraid that when his people become sufficient and rich, then they might say to themselves, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. To prevent us from this prideful, boastful attitude, what is the best thing to do? The best thing is as simple as never ever forget. In verse 18, Moses once again reminds this group of Israelites who is, in, who is just about to cross Jordan and establish a new life, that, but remember, that they have to remember that the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your ancestor, as it is today. We might wonder why God is ever faithful. And, and, and how he always keeps his promises. It's simple. It's just because God never forgets. He will never forget the covenant, the covenant he granted to the ancestors of Israel. The covenant he established with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And on the other hand, men like us will become unfaithful, covenant-breaking, because we forget. We do not remember. And from here, Moses comes to his final point of this message, which brings the theme of remembering to its climax. But at the same time, he is issuing the most severe warning against forgetfulness. Verse 19 and 20, last two verses of the chapter go like this. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. 
Moses here issues the most severe warning to his people against forgetting the past. He stressed that forgetting will lead to destructions. It's because if they forget what God has done for them, if they forget how they rely on God in the past, if they forget how God humbled and tested them in the wilderness, and if they forget how God guided them through all these tests, this forgetfulness will lead them to follow other gods, will lead them to idolatry. It's a path to death. What Moses is anxious the most is for the Israelites, who he has led for 40 years, end up heading this path of destruction. And it's very sad that at the end, Moses' nightmare became reality to the future generations of the Israelites in the Promised Land. This tragedy of turning forgetfulness into idolatry happened in the time of the prophet Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah chapter 2, verse 7 and 10, it says, The land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. The land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. Abundance, sufficiency. And then, the land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. This scenario is the same as what Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 12 and 14 describes. It says, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increases and all you have is multiplied, see, abundance, sufficiency, then you, your heart will be proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is the scenario of Isaiah. Scenario when the Israelites got rich in the promised land. See, the two verses, they are basically parallel. Moses is anxious that they will forget Yahweh their God because forgetting God is the same as following other gods. Note that the gods described by Isaiah are not gods like the Allah, the Baal. No, not those type of gods but the work of their hands, which is their own accomplishment, their own self-deceiving success. When Yahweh is forgotten, Israelites turn to worship their own success. The meaning of worship is to attribute glory for what God is worth. But when we forget about God, we will forget that everything is indeed grace of the loving God who declares by His word that food is to be given. We will then not attribute glory to God. When we think that we can manufacture our own livelihood, that we can by our own might, our resources, our experience, accomplish our sufficiency, the object that we will attribute glory to is Ourselves. That's absolutely, from top to bottom, inside out, 
idolatry. The Israelites were lost in blessings. They became forgetful. So what about us? When today we say that we are to look back to our past, it's not just a slogan or just a, just a program. This looking back, this remembering is to awaken us from our amnesia. It's to call us to repent and return from our own pride or even our, our idolatry. You know, every time when we remember, it represents a chance that God graciously gives us to come back to Him. We all have been lost in our blessings. We all have been prideful and have seen grace as our own accomplishment. So every time, when we look back and remember, we are attributing the source of blessings back to God. And we will have another chance to be freed from the bondage of self-sufficiency. You know, this week will be an opportunity we can spend time to fast and pray as a church. And brothers and sisters, I sincerely hope that every one of us, everyone here, will join me, will join us together in this, in this fast and prayer, that we will remember together, that we will repent together, and we will let God revive us together. Can we do that? Let us all pray together. Heavenly Father, the God of past, present, and future is all because of your grace that we are who we are today. It's also because of your continuous grace that we dare to hope for a glorious future because it is your faithful promise that we will one day enter into your magnificent glory. Father God, we ask that in your mercy and grace that you will continue to work amazing things among us as you have always done in the past. And God, protect us, whether it's from attacks coming from the evil ones or from the sinfulness that grows within us. As we are celebrating our 45th anniversary, may you be the center of attention in all we do because it is only because of you that we have 45 years of blessings to count. We pray in the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>